Hello and welcome to the Root Simple Podcast. We're the audio companion to the Root Simple blog, where we cover gardening, home economics, and DIY living. This show is hosted by myself, Eric Knudsen, and Kelly Coyne. We are the authors of The Urban Homestead and Making It, Radical Home Ec for a Post-Consumer World. Our guest this week is Rachel Kaplan, and our topic is permaculture. Rachel Kaplan is a somatic psychotherapist, permaculture designer, educator, and author. She lives on a small urban homestead with her family and their many critters in Petaluma, California. She is co-founder of the 13 Moon Collab, an all-woman teaching team offering an evolutionary training, permaculture from the inside out. Her collaborators in this venture are Kira Auerbach, Delia Carroll, and Cassandra Ferrara. Rachel wrote Urban Homesteading, Heirloom Skills for Sustainable Living with Kay Ruby Bloom, and is currently working on a long-anticipated book about community dance ritual with the dance luminary Anna Halprin. Okay, welcome, Rachel, to the Root Simple Podcast. Yeah, welcome, Rachel. Thanks for having me. Well, now, I think we need to begin. I hate beginning this way, but uh, half (laughs) the audience probably knows what permaculture is and the other half doesn't. And I wonder if you could give us a a, a quick definition of permaculture. As hard as that might be. As hard as that might be, yeah, to do. Okay. So permaculture is a design science that's rooted in ethics and principles that help us look at how we as human beings can redesign our settlements and our resource use and our relationships with one another and other beings in a more, quote-unquote, sustainable or regenerative way. And the principles and the ethics are um, the ethics are very straightforward. We, we prioritize earth care, people care, and the equal distribution of resources or fair share. So once we see how very un-American that is, we really can see how if we start prioritizing that, our our lives start to change. If we really start making decisions according to those ethics, we start living very differently. And then the principles are further kind of operating instructions about how to think about truing up our actions with um, the reality of living on a finite planet with lots and lots of other beings. Now, I know when I first encountered permaculture, it seemed very abstract to me, and uh, it was difficult for me to figure out, well, how do I figure out this? How do I learn this this vocabulary? Uh, how are you, how would you recommend people learn permaculture? I mean, because it's something you can learn from a book, or do you need to take a course in order to do that? Well, I think because it is such a, um, it is such a practical and um, hands-on and do-it-yourself way of living that that learning to do it and actually getting your hands in the dirt is the best way and um that said there are there are many different books that um can give you a kind of a theoretical grounding in permaculture i would say if you started out with um bill mollison who's credited as one of the founders of permaculture i understand why you got confused he's very heady and theoretical and complex but there's other people who speak to um permaculture in much simpler terms. Toby Hemingway's Great Guy's Garden has some really fundamental, simple ways to learn permaculture. My book, Urban Homesteading, does a fairly good job, I think, of helping people understand the fundamentals of permaculture. But I think the best way is to practice and to learn. And that's what the permaculture design course is for. And um, that's why we're teaching it to people, because we really want um, people to get a hands-on way of learning to relate to water and earth and soil and food and other animals and other people in a way that's very direct. So tell me some more about your permaculture design course. How is it like other PDCs and how is it different? Okay, so we're teaching a 13-month permaculture design course called Permaculture from the Inside Out. And um, the classic PDC permaculture design course is a 72-hour curriculum. Many people teach it in a two-week period, so it's really an intensive, you go to an existing permaculture um, farm and you get to witness it and you get this huge download of information that's both theoretical and practical. Um, We've chosen to do it over the course of a year. Some other people do it that way, so that's not like this 
brand new innovation, but by doing it over a year, what we give people is the opportunity to really learn and um, digest and integrate each piece over time and actually see how a piece of land looks through the seasons and, um, you know, what, what it means to go from, like, root to seed to sprout to leaf to fruit to harvest back into the earth, you know, like really following cycles and seasons, which is really um, a big part of permaculture is like, how do we re-embed ourselves back into nature's cycles? So that's um, different. And our permaculture, of course, is actually more hours than 72. And what we find is that it's such an expansive and it's such an expansive discipline that there, there's so many questions that come up about so many of the things that permaculture directs us towards. Like, we learn about botany, and we learn about plants, and we learn about medicine making, and we learn about early skills in the kitchen. But as you guys know, like those, all of these things, like you could you could spend a lifetime learning about herbal medicine mm-hmm. or botany or plant identification. Or so, in a way, the PDC is a, a survey course. And some of the things that we're trying to get out by um, the inside out part is by uh, is that understanding that who we are as um, designers, as people who come to this work, who come with our concerns about the world, who care about doing a better job as humans living on the planet. There's a lot of um, personal, emotional, social, systemic reasons why it's hard for people to get along with each other. And really... Um, it's it's our biggest challenge is figuring out some of that stuff. How do we learn to work together? How do we uh, dismember the systemic um, injustices that exist between us, whether or not we hate them or not, they still exist. How do we work with that? How do we create um, social justice in what we do so that we really can live that third ethic of fair share? So these are big, big questions. Again, lifetime studies, right? So we've tried to give ourselves as much time as possible to make space around some of the basic skills that you get in the PDC to also bring in this bigger, wider, messy, mysterious territory of human relationships, which gets in our way a lot as people. Now, your day job is, of course, as a family therapist, correct? And I'm wondering how... It actually is. Yeah, how do you you use that knowledge in a PDC course? How does that, that play out? Thanks for that question. Well, one of the things I've learned, I've learned a lot of different things by becoming a therapist. And the most important things are about learning to listen without judgment and create a space where people feel safe enough to share things that are really important to them. So I've become uh, good at at holding space and creating conditions that, um, that hopefully make it safe for people to share. So that's really relevant when we're talking about any of these interpersonal or social issues, or even when we talk about um, like what our culture is doing to the planet and our possibilities of survival, there's more feeling there. Like People range from completely uh, dissociated and disempowered to grief-stricken to enraged to feeling powerless. There's, there's a lot of um, difficult feelings in there. So as somebody who sits a lot with people's challenging feelings and tries to help people get resourceful about them, how do we work with this? How do we how do we stay centered and grounded and face into what's happening? These are all skills that are relevant to teaching permaculture and to helping people face up to what um, what we're sort of unwitting participants in, which is getting more and more clearly mm-hmm. like the death of the ecosystem that supports us. So how do we extricate ourselves from this giant system that we're all part of and we're all embedded in um, to make something different? So I, I see that the inner work and the, outer work of permaculture, the inner piece and the outer piece are very connected. They're reflections of each other, fractals of each other. And and actually the way I work most, um, like the, the part of my practice as a therapist that I'm the most connected to is something called somatics, which is like somatics comes from a Greek word meaning um, the body and all of its wholeness. So it's really a way of um, thinking about the whole human, the mind, the body, the spirit. And, and um, accessing the information, the wisdom from all those parts of ourselves. And permaculture also is about looking at all these different pieces that we've severed from each other for lots of different reasons and in lots of different ways and bringing them back into relationship. So it's kind of the same thing. It's like how do we bring our minds and our bodies and our spirits into alignment with what our purpose is and how do we, how do we bring the water, the soil, the chickens, the food, the 
economic system in relationship with each other. You know, there's so many different pieces that are just been split asunder that we're trying to, to mend. You know, I, I think it's easy to imagine in a permaculture class some of the hands-on stuff, you know, making a, I don't know, mm-hmm. making a vegetable bed or, or compost pile mm-hmm. or, or things like that. It's a little harder to imagine some of the, the inside work, as you just described. Can you take me to, you know, in my on the, in, in audio form to one of these classes and, and kind of walk through some of the things that have gone on and maybe some mm-hmm. stories and mm-hmm. some of the ways in which that you've, you've sure. done the, the inside work? In a, in, what does it look like? What does it, you know, what, 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 if it, I gave you a class, what would it be like? Yeah, that's a great question. It looks um, a lot like uh, a group of people having a conversation with each other on certain topics that are relevant to the permaculture work. And um, at the leaders, that we seed the conversation with important questions to sort of prompt people to think and feel into a whole host of different issues. But some of them are specific, like social justice issues, like how do we work across the different um barriers that separate us, or how do we connect personally to our own um, vision or mission in in this work, like the way you guys have connected to your mission in terms of keeping on putting out so much information for all of us about what's going on, and you said this the last time I saw you, Eric, you were so like, this is what we do, we're holding this website and we're doing, this, we're doing these podcasts so that the information keeps going out. How do we help people connect to their own particular purpose? So some of it's inner work that people do at home, like we'll give them some questions and be like, this is your homework and you're going to come back next month and you're going to sit with a few people and you're going to talk about it. Sometimes we sit in small groups, sometimes we sit in a large group. Sometimes we we kind of, uh, what's the way to say this, we, uh, it's not just talking, but there's like ways that we represent what we're talking about. We could make an image of with our bodies or a little theater piece out of it or a song. Like sometimes we go into the art realm as a way to express some of what's coming up. Sometimes we hold a, a grief council. So there's a lot of a range, but it is about um, the leaders uh, seeding the environment with questions and then stepping back and letting people step forward so that, because we don't have the answer about how to do this, right? We don't know. And we don't know how for each person it's going to be true. So we really want to access everybody's intelligence about how they, how they would approach the issue or questions, concerns, stuff like that. Was yes. was um was the inner work always a part of the plan um, from the very beginning, or did you start teaching a PDC and then say, wait a minute, something's missing? No, we were our intent when the four of us came together: Cassandra Ferrara, Delia Carroll, Hira Auerbach, and myself. When we decided to do this together, the intent was to um, bring that more feminine, mysterious part of. Um, life into the PDC. One of our critiques of the PDCs in general is that it's a fairly male-dominated environment. It's a fairly fairly white male-dominated environment. And so we love our white male friends and there's nothing hostile in what we're saying. But you, you know how when we get to like one subgroup is representing, it, it, lots of things get missing. So as moms and as women, we were like, what about the mystery? What about feelings? What about the the person, what about the person? Mm-hmm. So it was a very intentional, this is missing. And, and even the choice to do it over time, as opposed to the kind of huge downward you would get in two weeks. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know if you've ever taken a workshop like that. Yes. It's very hard to integrate all that information or to really remember much of anything at all. And we felt like that, you know, one of the principles in permaculture is small and slow solutions. So we're like, let's slow this down and make more space so that we can, um, actually embody this and also when you go to the like if we're going to sort of like genderize which we we are in the binary right of like in like the way the mind has been relegated to the masculine and the body has been relegated to the feminine we're we're definitely privileging like sensation emotion embodiment in a way that doesn't happen in most pdcs and ironically we met we we all knew each other in different ways but we came together at a Northern California gathering called the Women's Herbal Symposium, which has been happening for decades up in Laytonville. And it's really a gathering of a fairly witchy group of women that's been going on for, yeah, for a long time. And it was around the circle there that we were like, let's do this thing. So it's definitely a womanist move for sure. 
Why do you think it is that permaculture does seem to be dominated by male teachers and male authors, but um, but classes are often majority uh, women? <laughs> well, my experience—that's that. an easy question. That's, that's an what, easy question. That's what they call a softball I mean, in the biz. Most, yeah, my experience of most classes is that they're dominated that they're dominated by women, and you know. I don't want to throw out a whole lot of stereotypes, but I think it's harder for men to say, I don't know, teach me. They prefer to be like, let me tell you what I know. So I think that that's part of the cultural dynamic. And I also think that permaculture has been a science of um, kind of how do we move earth in a better way? How do we dig uh, swales and berms? And how are we going to hook up this plumbing so that your water doesn't go down the drain but goes into your garden? It's sort of hands-on practical manual labor. It's kind of like model and trains, like little yeah, pieces. Yeah, <laughs> guys like to fix stuff, and they're good at lifting boulders, and they're good, they're strong, they got, they got muscles, you know? So I think that some of it is just a natural affinity. Um, yeah, there's very few women uh, teachers in sort of the first cohort of um, permaculture teachers. Penny Livingston is one of the older people in the community who's really been teaching a long, long time, and she studied directly with Bill Mollison, but she's one of the only ones, really, of that... Um, generation. It's so a young discipline. Also like, oh, it's a young discipline, I was just saying. You know, so we haven't had a lot of time to develop. You it have is. the you have Mollison and the boys who started sort of, you know, <laughs> sort of started this and, and you know, and they're yeah. you know, they're still alive. And so there hasn't you know, yeah, and maybe like their the apprentices were male to begin with, you know, and they you know, um and I don't know where I'm going. I'm just saying that hopefully with time that this is going to change, but you know, it's good right. to be doing things. And, and, and we just really want to be clear, like our critique is not in anger or we love permaculture and we love that it's been brought forth and we love its potential, but we think it has more potential than is being realized. And we, we think that there are, there's I, there's there's some people who take a PDC so that they can become a permaculture designer for a living, but a lot of people take a PDC so that they can learn more about how to garden or how to live more responsibly. And then there's some people who take it because the the embodiment of ecological thinking makes sense to them. It's something they want to bring into their lives and maybe into other realms of work. And so that's all to the good. Like we should inoculate every realm of our culture with permaculture ethics and principles. Like if we, if we put that in the, in the boardroom and in the classroom and out in the garden and really throughout our um, culture that we were only making choices based on earth care, people care, and fair share, that would be revolutionary. So mm-hmm. we sort of see our mission as not being to pick up the students who are, want to become designers for a living, although they would learn the basics and that would be a good start for them, but more um, people who, who want to understand what it means to have an embodied ecological um, response to their lives. So, and partly also because of how we set it up, like doing it once a month, we've got a lot of moms, we've got a lot of parents who can't take a two-week block and who have, like it's easier for them to get out one day a month and so that brings it to children and to families and to communities. And, yeah, we're just like inoculate everyone. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, no, yeah. you kind of hinted yeah. at this, reading between the lines of what you just said. But I know another frustration that I had in looking at the original uh, Mollison's literature and, and Holmgren is that a lot of it seemed initially oriented to someone with a lot of land in Australia. And I kept wondering, <laughs> right. well, and this actually speaks to your book too, but um, right. how do you apply this to someone like us who live in a small house and a small yard in a big city? Or right. you, you have right. a, you're a renter, right? So how does this apply? How do you bring this back to people who like, well, not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to build a swale. I don't have the <laughs> land to build a swale. You Much know? less that duck right. pond I've food, always wanted. Yeah, the yeah. duck farm, the food <laughs> forest, know, all that pond. stuff, right? How, yeah. does, how do you make well, it relevant to, you know, to someone like yeah, you or I? Mean, I yeah, I mean, I think that that's where the principles and the ethics are really important. If you start making choices where you live according to simple principles, like the first permaculture principle is to observe and interact. Like, what does that mean if we sit in our yard for some time and we look around, like, what can this yard actually do? And what can we give to it? You know, like, what kind of reciprocal relationship can we get into it with this little piece of land? Because most of us just have access to a small amount of space, right? So, so 
once we start really um, looking at things with those with those um, glasses on, we start seeing things differently. And like clearly how you wrote about urban homesteading and I did as well. It's like, well, how do we maximize yield on a small city lot? Like, what can I actually grow here? What makes sense? Wow, I have some really big trees. Like, I've got an oak tree and a camphor tree and next door they've got a huge redwood and then there's this giant plum. I have a lot of shade and then a lot of like super bright hot sun. Not really great growing conditions for vegetables. What could I grow here? Mushrooms, chickens, <laughs> you know, maybe some squash because it's super hot in the summer. So there's, you start learning to like really read the land. And we also like, permaculture is also about um, this beautiful concept of zonation. So we have this sort of like these concentric circles that go out from the center of your body all the way out into the the wider world. So we start thinking about like, where do I where do I get my resources from and how can I get them in a way that's ecologically minded? And like, how, how can I bike? You know, what can I get by not ever using fossil fuel or how do I stack my drives to get the things I need that are in a zone beyond where I can walk or bike to. So we start really um, thinking strategically about where we get what we need. And some of that also is about what are the kind of relationships we can develop um, in our neighborhood, like I don't have good sun, but my neighbor really does. Maybe she grows the tomatoes, and maybe I grow the kale because of the shade. You know, and we trade. So that's this other piece where we start rebuilding relationships with the people around us, and anybody can do that, whether or not they rent or own or have a little piece of property or, a, 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 you know, like live in a condo with like like a little porch. You can, you know, you can do it. So, and every site has limits and opportunities. So it's actually very relevant for people who live in cities. And, um, and in some ways, it's a lot easier to, um, you know, the resource in a city are, is people. That's the main resource, right? So again, we go back to that same thing of like, how do we learn to work effectively with the resources people instead of thinking of each other as liabilities? How do we see each other as assets and um, additions? So that's a big mind shift, right? Mm -hmm. You want to talk about that people level? Because you live in a city where there's been a lot of very forward-thinking neighborhood-level permaculture. Absolutely. Um, you want to talk Absolutely. about some examples of, of that that have been going on in your community, which is Petaluma, we should say. Sure. Yeah, I live in Petaluma, and we are lucky enough to have Daily Acts, which is run by Trayden Heckman and a whole posse of super proactive permies. And one of the... Uh, big projects that Daily Axe has gotten into is supporting people in um, sheet mulching their lawns, which means burying the lawn in a layer of um, compost and cardboard and mulch and killing the grass, which is a um, super water waster and growing gardens. And um, they did it for a long time, just individually, they would start these work parties and they would go around and help people do it. And then they got involved with the cities, the different municipalities in Sonoma County where we live. And they started sheet mulching like city hall. We did like 200,000 square feet of city hall and saved hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of gallons of water by installing rainwater catchment. And then it becomes this model for other people. They go to city hall and they see all this food growing and they see these, zero-scape landscapes that aren't using any water and big rainwater tanks, and they think, hey, I can do that. So it has been very um, effective in inspiring people to use less water, generate the local food shed, make relationships with their neighbors. And we started a little group through Daily Axe called the Homegrown Guild, which was kind of just a gathering uh, that was online, a listserv of people who were interested in this, who had resources to share, maybe extra produce, needed this, needed that, wanted to come and work with each other in their yards. And so that has also turned into a, a supportive um, online network that helps people get their questions answered and their lemons to the right place and stuff like that. So Felix has been really important in Sonoma County and it really is a great model for what can happen in other communities when people get organized to, to tackle some of the problems. And, you know, permaculture is one of its nice little um, axioms is it within the problem lies the solution. So if we think about that, like, wow, we don't have enough water. How, how are we going to use that as leverage to create something different? Like, that's rainwater catchment and gray water um, use. 
So um, when we start thinking about that, instead of getting bummed out about all the quote-unquote problems, we start thinking, well, what's the way to work this? How do we transform this into something that becomes a solution to the problem? And GIX has been super inspiring that way. I want to break that down a little more, actually. Uh, you mentioned, okay. of course, uh, the problems. I imagine when you get a group of people together in your class, there's a lot of, uh, you know, it's overwhelming. We've got climate change. We've got um, all kinds mm -hmm. of challenges, um, social injustice, on and on and on. How do you get past that point to starting to work on solutions? It seems like you can really get, you can fall down a hole. Well, I guess it's a question of yeah. how to work with grief. Right, you right. know, essentially, right, right. Work. I don't know oh, if you so, ever work yeah. through it. I guess you work with it more than you work through it. Yeah. Well, so those are two different questions. I'm okay. going <laughs> yeah. to answer the like going down the hole question, and then I'm going to answer the grief question. Okay. They're okay. both really important. Okay. So one of the things about permaculture is that it is a um, it's a it's a it's a system and a series of proactive uh, solutions, and permaculture doesn't like to dwell too much in the problem. It says, yeah, this is all going down. Climate change is happening, etc. I'm not going to even list them all because we all know like how things are going down. So we don't, we spend a little time in the beginning saying mostly like, we know you're here because you know how dire things are and you care and you want to do something different. And we, um, and we say, and here's these things that you can do and you, anybody, not a chemist or a botanist or a scientist or an ecologist, you can just be a mom who's taking care of your kids, not just, but you know what I mean? You can be somebody, just an ordinary person who doesn't have like an extreme science degree and you can learn these things and you can apply them. And what happens is when you, this is what happened for me, like I became a permaculturist after my daughter was born and my daughter was born three weeks before 9-11. And I remember watching those towers fall, nursing this little teeny tiny human and I was like, oh my God, <laughs> it's now going to go from bad to worse. And I was totally right. And I found permaculture shortly after that and it helped me not be so afraid and not feel so uh, much despair. I was like, here's something I can do every day that makes actually makes a difference in the life of my family and in terms of like the bigger problems that we face in terms of how we're basically trashing the globe. So I think that just being able to take small proactive steps is a hope builder. So in that way, I think that's one of the great functions of permaculture. So that so that's my that's my kind of briefish answer to that first question about how to not go in a hole. Like you, you just don't go in a hole. You, you say, <laughs> okay, yeah, we have no water in California. Here's five things you can do at your house, right? As simple as like get a freaking bucket and save the water in the bathtub and never flush the toilet again, right? It's like even just doing that little simple thing, it's like a it's a thing. It's something, you know, it adds up. It's real. And then the grief piece, I think you have to, um, you actually have to let yourself feel it sometimes because when we don't feel our feelings, and you're going to know that this, the therapist is talking now, right? <laughs> when we don't feel our feelings, they become immobilizing. And grief is a particularly challenging feeling for all of us. It's, um, people are afraid that once you start, you'll never stop crying and that you can't really allow yourself to enter into it. So there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of cultural strategies to ward off against um, grief. But there are ways to, and again, like if we hold a circle or an environment properly where people feel safe enough to go, oh my God, like I remember when we were teaching the piece about water and a picture of the Folsom Dam came up, you know, and how mm. it's looked for the last four years where it's basically like there is no water. And one of the women was like, oh my God, this is she just could feel how heavy and how scary and how sad it was. So we really took time to feel into that and to let each other support one another about how we felt about what what's happening and what we're part of and how we want it to be different. And one of the tricks, one of the things we tell our clients, like who, are, who have a lot of grief or a lot of pain, it's like really the human body like our systems only allow us to actually feel the intensity of that feeling for about 20 minutes before the cycle completes itself. It doesn't go on forever. <laughs> it doesn't, it won't, you won't go crazy. It won't overwhelm you. But the consequence of not feeling the feelings are more serious because then you get yourself locked into a dissociative or um, shut down place. And I personally think that painful as it is sometimes, um, the moment is calling for us to be as heart wide open as we can so that we really can face what's going on 
and figure out again, like, what's, what's my particular purpose in this, this great work that we have to do? And I don't know if you are, if you know of Joanna Macy's work. No. Do you know her? Joanna Macy is this beautiful, um, Buddhist and deep ecology scholar. And she's been working for many decades on, um, despair and empowerment work. And her work really started around the nuclear threat um, probably 30 years ago. But it's, and she's evolved a whole series of exercises and workshop formats for um, dealing with challenging feelings around the, the multiple threats that exist to our existence. And she's really evolved towards this particular moment, what's happening in terms of like what she hopes is the end of the industrial death culture and the birth of a regenerative culture. And she calls this moment the great turning. And she has um, a big piece of work called The Work That Reconnects that's really about helping people feel their feelings, honor the grief, express their gratitude for life, and then turn towards the world with their mission in, in what she calls going forth. So we go forth knowing that we're very sad and hurt by what's happening, but that we we keep facing into it and we keep we keep doing the work at hand and we do it for our children and their children and for for life itself, you know, for the continuity of life itself that we're, of course, a part of and that expresses itself through us. So that's really important. Um, that's a, she's a, it's a very supportive piece of work that we definitely bring to the PDC. See, we could talk about this for three months. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. a big, that's a big piece. So uh, Most PDCs don't go there. There's no time. It's too much. Most people don't have the capacity to hold that feeling, the feeling state. And I, many PDCs defer, and in a way, rightly so, to like, here's a positive solution. Here's a positive action that you can do. So the PDC is often just a very inspiring. It's like you're, you're in this realm of possibility instead of the realm of the realm of positive possibility instead of the realm of negative possibility, which is where mostly we're living. <laughs> <laughs> do you feel? Um hopeful when you look at our culture at large. I mean, like, you know, you're doing the good work bit by bit, helping people, your, your students, you know, and taking action in your home. But when you look at the world as a whole, if you go past a Costco, I mean, do you? It <laughs> 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 yeah. sends me into plummeting well, despair. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I always say I'm a very pessimistic person who lives an optimist lifestyle. I don't have a lot of hope, honestly. Like when I look at the larger uh, picture or when I hear any Republican speaking, mm -hmm. I, I, I can't believe some of the things that are being said in the public domain at this point and some of the choices that are being made. Um, and I, I, yeah, I feel like I, um, I feel like I have to, I have to um, stay, stay focused in what it is I'm doing and hope for the best, but like really, no, I don't have very much hope at all. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm pessimistic. My collaborators would not like that. I'm saying this in public, like they're much more hopeful. They're like, of course it's going to be okay. And I'm like, okay, from your mouth to God's ears, as my dad would say, but I, I'm not convinced. <laughs> I don't know. Do you feel hopeful? Uh, I just I don't know. I I I, I mean I, I I think what you said about not falling in the hole. Um, well, actually, important. Kelly and I are a little different. Kelly uh, jokingly referred to as Debbie Downer around the house, but I'm you a little more sunshiny. You jokingly refer to me as yes. Debbie Downer. Uh, but, uh, but it's like you know we're very different. We're very yeah. I was born on the darkest day of the year. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just we I have do, different. I do too. We have different. I am he's, that way too. He's sunshiny um, by nature, but yeah. um, I think we both. Uh, are, you know, I mean, I think I mean, we, we would probably yeah. fall in line with where you are. I mean, just keep keep doing the work and hope for the best, you know. And Well, I, I, I just think, it, like, I know that I can get all spun out on what could happen or, you know, as you guys are so funny in your book, like the zombie apocalypse, mm -hmm. like, you could go there really easily or you could just not. Like, it's a negative thought form, really. And if we don't know what's going to happen and... I think part of the dream of permaculture is that if we get a critical mass of people, enough people disengaging from the industrial death, death culture enough and recreating systems that actually support people in healthy ways and support the land where we live, that that's what it's going to take. So I'm just more like I have to throw my energy towards that because otherwise I'm going to, 
be completely depressed. And I have a 14-year-old, you know, like, I look at her and I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry, little beast. I don't know what it's going to be like when you're my age, you know. Yeah. It's like, it's it's a, it's scary to be a parent now, mm-hmm. but she's here. And I can't um, be sitting around with my head in my hands going, no, the answer's not, <laughs> you know, <laughs> even if that's what I think. It's not a way to raise a proactive citizen, you know. It's not going to... I'm not going to be doing my job. So I kind of take my responsibilities seriously. And I also don't want to feel, I don't want to feel crappy all the time. (laughs) You know, it doesn't help me keep working. It doesn't help me keep doing what I think is the right thing to do. So pretty committed to trying to keep getting out of it. And, and I think that that's also where like spiritual practice and meditation and exercise and just good community relations. Like there's so many things we can do that actually help us feel renewed and able to continue and that's what to focus on rather than the other stuff because some of the stuff I sat on my hands what can I do you know there's so many things that are happening that we don't have any control over one of the god um, damn it (laughs) I know (laughs) if only we were king of the world (laughs) Um, hello I know what I would do (laughs) I have a 16 point plan it would be quick One of the uh, one of my uh, more profound woo woo experiences I've ever had was a uh, communication from our yard, <laughs> and our yard mm-hmm. told me we heal together. And I've been living with okay. that right. for a while. Um, uh, and and so that's why I, I mm-hmm. I'm liking the description of your work and your class because I think that is true. I mean, there is no I don't think there's hope for us to change the paradigm the, of our culture. As long as ourselves, as long as our hearts are so messed up, you know, it's like, so, right. you know, so we, we need to heal ourselves in maybe not before we heal the land, because I think healing the land is part of the process of healing ourselves, but it's definitely I agree. a cycle. Um, I think it's, 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 they're just reflections of each other. I think mm-hmm. they're actually the same thing. It's like the same practice with different tools. Mm-hmm. And so... No, it's all, it's all really important. It's all really important. And yeah, you know, we're thinking that it's kind of funny. I just realized in saying like, you know, there's us and then there's the land, there's me and there's nature, you know, that's all a false binary. Yeah. That, exactly. And we fall, that's we fall into we that. Yeah, we fall into that so easily. You know, I'm, I'm like a mushroom, you know, I'm just something that rose from the land, you know, and if the land is that's sick, right. I am sick. And if, that's you know, right. so. That's yeah. totally it. That's totally it. So we, so we try to, as much as we're able to in like 110 hours or whatever we've given ourselves, to approach that incredibly huge conversation and give people tools for continuing that, including in their lives. That's what we're about because it is an ongoing thing, and it is one of the, you know, one of the things in permaculture is this idea of visible structures and invisible structures, and the visible structures are. Obviously, the things we can see, so like what our yard looks like and what direction the sun comes from and the wind and where's the water come from and where does it go to and how big is the house and how much solar gain, all those visible things. Do you own the land? Do you not? And then there's, so we factor those in when we're designing, but then there's the invisible structures and those are things like our need for rest and our need for spiritual connection and our need for community and where our me comes from and whether or not we're taking care of an ailing parent or just had a baby or any of those things, our mental health, our education system. It's like all these things that are more submerged and we don't necessarily think about them. They also really affect how we, how we be in the world and what we can do, what our opportunities are at any different part of our life cycle. And so if we try to take a holistic view of um, ourselves as part of the all of those things are, are deeply relevant and, and, and change in any place um, has an effect in other places. So I think there's a huge leap of faith and a huge um, spiritual um, remodel that helps us not keep cutting out like, oh, the, that you're separate from the land, right? Mm. It's like that we're all, just, we're all just here doing this thing together. So cleaning up our interact is as important as taking a swale and hooking up the water system and all of that. Tell me a little more about the, the spiritual remodel, as you put it. What, what does that look like? What sort of tools do you address in the class and, and techniques, and where do you see that going? Well, one of our best teachers in that is Starhawk, who is a, um, she's a writer, and she's a, um, 
she's a witch, basically. She's in, from the pagan, the Western pagan tradition, and she's been part of a circle called the Reclaiming Collective for many decades. And she is a permaculture teacher, and she really teaches a lot about how we relate to the elements, how we cast a circle, how we create ceremony, how we sing and how we dance, how we how we release our emotions through our bodies in ways that are um, ceremonial and connected to place. And so we use some of those um, resources that we've learned from her. And um, so sometimes it's as simple as calling in the elements in the beginning of the day. We stand in a circle and we call in the, the water, the fire, and the earth, and the air. And we think of them as beings and ancestors that are with us and that are part of us and that we can learn from and that we it's our sacred responsibility to learn to relate to. So it's, it's kind of, again, a sort of a practical magic. And um, some of the, I, for me, and I, I don't know if my collaborators would agree, but for me also, ironically, the spiritual unfolds through the physical. So when we actually take the time to move our bodies, feel how we feel, um, have pleasure in our body by dancing together, things like that, we connect to a spiritual core of being human by doing that in a group together that I think gives um, foundation and support and nourishment for the kind of hardness of the, the path that we're on of like really recognizing what's happening and wanting to make it be better. Now, when yeah. uh, I want to pick up on something that you said earlier too about the going forth moment because it's one thing to sit in a circle in a permaculture group and talk about these ideas. It's another thing, and this is the thing that's always hung me up, is taking that into the community, kind of actually what Trayton yeah. does, which is sort of a mystery to me. Like, how do you take these ideas <laughs> and then, you know, you're sitting in a, a, a city council meeting or something. Uh, right. that, that step seems very difficult for me. And I'm wondering if you or your collaborators or some of the students in the class have done some interesting things in terms of taking these ideas and, and working them out in the community. Sure. I mean, there's, there's lots of different ways to do that. We have one woman who is in our class who started working with a, a free food project in San Francisco that's been going on for many years and she got involved in helping um, grow and distribute food so that became a way that she felt like she was giving back and using some of the skills that she had learned that in a way that benefited the community. And one of my collaborators, Cassandra, is um, in her day job, she's a real estate agent who helps groups of people find um, land where they can live in community. So she's a visionary real estate agent, and she is really interested in what's called placemaking, which comes from Mark Lakeman's City Repair. Mm. And so she's starting a village building convergence in Sebastopol, and they did it once last year, and they're going to do it again this year. So that is a... Are you at all familiar with Mark Lakeman's work? Yeah, yeah. yeah he's little... come down here a couple okay, of times. Okay, so you know him. Mm -hmm. So you know him, and so she's bringing that city repair, intersection repair work to Sebastopol, which is a completely copacetic place to bring it to. So, you know, Cobb Benson is bringing up Castle, in different... Right? Yeah. <laughs> it, it's a little close to Newcastle. I mean, that's one of the problems of living in the splendor of Northern California. We are very redundant, but... Um, we have a lot of friends. <laughs> so they're doing that. So that's a way to bring to people the possibilities of taking action. And, you know, some people do like what Trayson does. Like he's taking it to city hall, you know, he's taking it to the lawmakers and he's saying like, we need to do better around water. And there's a lot, a lot of people now who are getting on board about how are we going to manage our water crisis in California? And um, what are, what are good ideas? For um, for doing it, so yeah, those are some examples that come to mind. I think it takes a particular kind of person. Not everybody is a political animal, you know. Some people can really tolerate that, and other people really can't. And their better work is one on one, or in small groups, or with their family, or at their workplace. And I think that that's also what we have to um, we have to that has to be okay. Like everybody can't be traded, and that's okay, you know. So. But I think actually like any kind of, any of the stuff that goes out into the community, you need skills in how to work with people. That's going to be your primary thing. So I'm a little bit of a broken record on this, but it's like if you have an alienating personality or an abrasive personality or you're, you don't like people that much, that's not going to be your best job description, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> and things like that are like, some of those are learnable. Like people can learn how to lead groups and how to be, um, 
you know, effective in a, in a public sphere, but you can't really learn charisma and you can't really learn extroversion and you can't really learn um, the desire to work with big bunches of people. Some people have it, some people don't, you know? I mean, I see what you guys are doing as being totally part of that. Like you've chosen to do it in this way where you're home a lot and you're writing and you're reaching out to people and we're having this great conversation, even though we're not in the same place, like you're making a lot of connections. And so I think you're already doing it, Eric. But in your own way, you know. Yeah, you're I, I guess a so, lot of people. You affect yeah. a lot of people by by gathering the information you gather and spending your time making it um, available to people. It's super important. Likewise, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think I, I think you're right. Sometimes we have to re- be reminded that what we do is what we do. We don't mm-hmm. have to necessarily be yeah. a, um, someone well, who goes to neighborhood you, council well, meetings. You spent many years. God bless you at neighborhood council meetings. You know? Yeah, but I didn't like it, and I wasn't good at it. So yeah. I think that yeah. See, so there you go. So, right. So I've done that too. And there's one woman in our, in our community who is a complete political animal. And she and her husband just rented a property on a corner lot. And it's like totally exposed. It's all rocks. It's weird as looking spot. Like there's no grass, there's no ground. And they put up a sign and they've started a website and they have gatherings there and they're becoming a drop off place for food to be delivered and disseminated. And they're doing all this online stuff. And I'm like, these people love to do this. And she was in city hall. She was in the city council a couple of terms and then got voted out. And she's like, well, I don't have that venue. I'll make my own venue. She just lives for that stuff. I, I do not, (laughs) but I'm just always like, right on Tiffany. You're awesome. Go for it. You know, like every, piece of work that gets done needs to get done so in your class do you teach leadership uh, lessons or like how you lead a group or uh, that kind of you discuss that sort of thing we and... teach some of that but i think more to what we've just been talking about we actually help people identify like what's their best role in a group are they the kind of person who really warmly welcomes someone in are they a leader type who can stand up in front of a group and mobilize a group? Are they a back room organizer? Like, what's your affinity? And then we really, or what's your natural default? And then we do give people different skills and different ways to practice stretching their their skills. But a lot of it is about identifying, like, who are you and what's your best, the, the highest and best use of you, you know? And we also talk in permaculture, like, how do we um, design things so that the least effort has the greatest effect? And so we don't need to change ourselves to do that. We need to understand how we're best utilized and, and what's our least effort. What's the most effortless thing? Like for me, actually writing is really, compared to most people, quite effortless. Not that it's effort-free, but comparatively speaking, it's pretty easy for me. So that's a good place for me. And I have I have good capacity in terms of teaching because I was a performer forever. So I have like, I'm okay in front of a group of people. That's easy for me, you know? So like some of my collaborators, like one of my collaborators, Delia, she is fantastic doing the hands-on stuff. She will gather the materials and get super creative and totally inspired, but standing in front of the class, not her easiest spot. So I think it's like, it's, yeah, we don't have to be different than we are. We just have to be the best we can be. <laughs> to descend into little aphorisms. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I just have one last question, and that is, what are some of the projects that the students have come up with in the class? Because you are, in most PDCs, you do come up with a design project in the end. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, we did divide into groups and different, um, let's see, what did we have last time? There was one group worked on a design of one of the class members' house, and that particular group, the presentation really ended up being a very interesting example of how the invisible and the visible structures interact and how when we don't acknowledge the invisible, we can't get much done on the the, the manifest plane, like the, the woman whose house it was, is chronically ill. So there's this deficit of energy in terms of getting stuff done. So then it's like if we design towards like large, grandiose projects, we've designed for failure. Mm. <laughs> so we want to get real and design for what can be successful. So that was a really interesting example of how those two um, schema interact. And then there's a couple of people who worked on a public park in uh, Redwood City, which is a suburb in San Mateo County. And um, one man, we had one African-American person in our class, which was a 
we were so happy to have him, but it's a tragic mistake to have one African-American person among all white people. It's very difficult. It was very difficult for him, and it's really unfair. So we learned a lot about that, and we really are pledged to do so much better this time. But his, his project ended up being an amazing story about what happened to him growing up in the projects in Cleveland and how he got completely separated from the earth and hurt in relationship to growing things and how the course helped him heal some of that. So that was an amazing gift that he offered us to share his, that process that he did. Yeah. There was that woman who worked with the, um, the free food people in San Francisco and, and there were numerous interesting breakdowns in the group. It was interesting how, again, some of the social dynamics and different people's needs and different people's capacities for being in groups frayed the group um, situation quite a bit. And we're going to do that very differently this time. We're actually going to... One of the one of the critiques of the PDC often is that people design things and the designs never happen. They're, they never right. come to, mm. to life. So what we're doing this time is we're going to Instead of having one big project at the end, we're going to have groups that do sort of two or three design presentations all about the piece of land where we're working, which is a small little mini eco-village that's in need of a lot of different ideas and input. And so we're hoping to focus everybody in this one place where we are and then have time enough to actually manifest some of the designs. So we think that that's going to give people more um, experience and pleasure in seeing what it means to actually do something from start to finish. And then, oh, wow, we have this new system. How do we maintain it? And how does this connect with other systems? So we're, we're trying to, um, it's not that satisfying to design something that you, that never happens. It's not really, it's kind of irritating actually, especially when there's just so much work that needs to be done. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, let's, let's put our skills to use. We'll really do it. So that's mm. how we're thinking about it this time. And if people are interested in the class itself, how would they find out information about it? And when is the next one happening? And how do they sign up? Thanks, Eric. Excellent question. That was a softball. So our, website, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> our website is um, 13 Moon Collaborative, and it's 1-3, the number 13, mooncollaborative.com. And um, you can go to the page that says permaculture design course and register and learn about it there we also have a facebook page called 13 moon collab so it's again the number 13 and then moon collab c-o-l-a-b and um through the website you can shoot us questions um by email and we'll get back to you and we're starting this next round on march 19th 2016 let's we'll go through march 2017 very cool well, thank you, Rachel. Yes, thank you so much. Thanks, you guys. Totally a pleasure to talk to you. That was Rachel Kaplan. To find out more about permaculture from the inside out, go to 13mooncollaborative.com. We'll have a link in the show notes. To leave a question for the Root Simple podcast, call us at area code 213-537-2591 or send us an email at rootsimple at gmail.com. We are Root Simple on Twitter. You can have our podcasts automatically downloaded for free by subscribing in the iTunes Store or on Stitcher. And if you like what you hear, please share this podcast in social media. You can support the Root Simple podcast by buying a copy of one of our books through the Amazon links on our website, which is rootsimple.com. Our theme music is by Dr. Frankenstein. Thank you for listening.